So we have time for uh, discussion, questions, answers. You can correct me if you disagree with anything. So if anyone would like to ask a question for Tanajan, we'll pass the microphone. And it's a big room, so we'll, we'll do our best. There's a hand in the back. Uh, do, with respect to the time and, and Tanajan's time, we'll ask people to, to be to the point and, and just uh, keep it brief. Thank you. Thank you very much for uh, the wonderful talk. Hey, uh, my question actually relates to the, the opening of uh, your talk, which relates to forgiveness, with, especially in, in terms of how to send metta uh, to the people who may be perceived as irritating and so on. I think the, the, the real challenge of, of this process is that I think I may belong to a group or community or structure that might create the irritating personality, especially in the age of globalization, disconnectedness. And how do you actually entangle that process of interconnectedness that might be responsible for creating a suffering of irritation that is then reflected back on Sorry, uh, I, di I didn't quite catch all, all of that. H how to prevent the how to prevent the irritation or the yeah. be actually responsible in history for creating that irritating personality? Only that I may have a mo I may pretend to have a moral authority to be forgiving that person, yeah, without knowing it. So how do we actually sense that and overcome that? Yeah, there's a, a number of points here. I, I mean, one is that, um, you know, to find this middle way or balance. I mean, some people are, um, you know, completely couldn't care less about what other people think. And, you know, this is me, this I am, take me or leave me, that kind of uh, extreme attitude. But other people go too much the other way and they're constantly, is he upset with me? Does she, you know, constantly... Um, paranoid that they're being unpopular in any way. So um, finding the balance between those two um, is is something that only comes about through practice. But it um, the, one of the points I was trying to make is merely making that a goal or an objective in your life to try to be more aware and awake in these kind of things that go on in 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 situations. Uh, like that, um, and fight creating, sustaining friendships um, in which um, people are willing to let you know if you are acting in ways that are upsetting to people and, um, and to give you some pointers as how to um, prevent yourself doing that. The, in terms of what's... Um, what's coming to you from other people, then the main and most important reflection is always that 
based upon the Four Noble Truths, that suffering is always caused by craving. And craving, we can only say, is craving with ignorance uh, in brackets, because the two things are, are one and the same. Um, what that means is that whatever anyone may do or may say, if there's no craving in the heart at that moment, there can be no suffering. So uh, we can notice that a particular um, phrase or a particular kind of action um, ha affects us in different ways depending on uh, who says it or who does it and our, our feelings towards that person. So there's someone that we have a lot of expectations in, someone that we love or someone is closely associated, then their words can affect us um, a lot more than if the same words or the same action perform someone that we don't know or we don't care about. So obviously it's not the words themselves, but it's, um, it's affected by our feelings towards that person and our expectations of them, how we think they should be, what we think they should and shouldn't do, and so on. And we can also notice that um, even with a single person, um, then our reaction will depend upon our general sense of well-being. One day we might be feeling in a very good mood and somebody says something and we find it uh, unexceptional and we don't worry about it. Another day we're already upset about something else and very vulnerable and then we can react more, more so. And in terms of our own speaking and being learning how to um, be mindful of people's body language, tone of voice, this general kind of feeling in a room. This is something which is easier for some than others. But again, it's a point of really having that sense of being a student and, and someone who's learning and learning about life and trying to uh, understand more about uh, how uh, relationships between people work and how they don't work. Um, I was just listening to you about the graving. Um, for me, it's a challenge to find this limit between uh, not fighting against my mind too much and become like a struggle, like the judgment, don't desire, don't try to looking for. And also with the question that you said, how much... It's enough. So this in-between is, you know, it's the, the challenge. How, how to, to deal with these tricks of desire, but not judging yourself or struggling too much. Yeah, I think the important thing is that the sustaining the questioning attitude, that curiosity and interest in learning, um, is the point that there's, it's not that you get to a state, oh, now I've got it worked out, I know how much is enough in this, because things are changing all the time. So it's constantly re-establishing mindfulness, re-establishing uh, balance, and it, it's not a kind of a fixed thing that now you've accomplished it and you're okay. But it's, it's really learning from, from experience and what works uh, and what doesn't. 
But when we look back in terms of forgiveness of ourselves in the past, when we've acted foolishly or done things that now we regret, um, it's always to, uh, when we, we see that at any one moment, um, our, our life is a, is a flow, okay? It's not a thing. There's not me today and me yesterday. There's always a, a flow of, of causes and conditions. And if we, if we say that um, yesterday or last year I shouldn't have done that, what we're really saying is I should have been somebody else. I shouldn't, be, I shouldn't have been who I was on that day. I, or those things shouldn't have been present that were that day, which, is, um, which doesn't make sense. I mean, given at, at any one moment there is a stimulus and then the response to it or the reaction to it dependent on how much mindfulness there is, how much patience, how much uh, defilement there is in the mind. So it's a moment-by-moment moment, uh, relationship between the stimulus and the, and the mind that's receiving this. But to say that you shouldn't have been done that or you should have been this, or, well, you, how can you say that? Because that's exactly what was going on right then. But it doesn't have to be like that in the future because this is the flow of conditions and we can recognize, yes, because there was a lack of mindfulness or sensitivity or, or patience, then this occurred, then we go, oh yeah, so I have to increase the amount of mindfulness and patience and sensitivity in future. So uh, moving away from this idea of me, this person who is good or bad or better and, um, and comparing with other people, just experiencing the body and mind as this flow and one which we can uh, influence in a constructive and positive way. Are there any other questions? Raise your hand. Hi. Enough to see. Going once, going twice. Yeah, okay. Do meeting it. Uh, how can I handle a vetana? Uh, many, many times when I sit for when I meditation, um, I I feel that I cannot make a vetana. I cannot make it rising, and I cannot make it passing away. Um, I can sit a longer, longer. I mean, uh, from thirty minute to forty minute and fifty minute until one day I. Is, uh, I cannot sit longer because uh, I don't know how to use a uh, ubeka or anything else to to look or to handle this this vetana. Is so much pain. A leg, my leg is so much pain. Thank you. How to practice with pain? Yes. Uh, okay. Um, you know, pain pain's not a good thing in itself. I mean, suffering's not sort of, no virtue to suffering in itself. Um, the uh, one of the things that we're learning in meditation is how to deal with unpleasant 
feelings, whether they are physically based or mentally based, not just to run away from them or to uh, be fearful of them. Um, but um, nevertheless, learning about pain and learning how we uh, attach to pain is a difficult practice. Uh, it's not a very um, pleasant, happy practice. And if we um, pursue this uh, practice with pain, when we still don't have very good samadhi, then uh, it can be very uh, depressing, basically. So, I would suggest that um, you don't sit through pain every time you meditate. Um, it's too much. That just do it every now and again. It's a good practice. You don't have to worry about having to be able to sit longer and longer and longer in one, in one posture. That will just come naturally. But sometimes just uh, make the samadhi the, the main goal. And so after you, you have been patient with the vetana for some time, change your posture. And, and so enjoy your meditation. Because if you're going to meditate long term for many, many years, your whole life, you know, you have to enjoy it. You have to look forward to it. Um, and if you, if you, every time you sit, you have a lot of pain, after a while you won't want to meditate. You get lazy, you find some good reason to do something else because you don't enjoy it. So it's very good thing to do, to learn about pain and how we react to pain and skillful means of dealing with pain. But this is just one part of meditation and don't, don't make it too much or else you won't want to meditate. Uh, hello, Ajahn. Thank you very much for your wonderful talk. Um, um, I, I have kind of a two-part question. Uh, one uh, refers to what you said about becoming aware of toxic mental states. So once you're aware of toxic mental states and you're, you know, you've sort of identified anger or confusion or pain. And we don't necessarily want to just shift that to sort of candy mental states, like you said. Um, but but um, so then you just sit with that pain. Is that right? Or can you clarify then what are the tools that we use once we have identified it? Yeah, it depends somewhat on the... Uh, on the mental state. For instance, in the, in the case of strong anger or fear, then the, the best practice is to be totally mindful of the body, bring attention to the physical body. Because these, these mental states are fueled by um, thinking. And, but the mind can only have one object at a time. So, very simple means of cutting off all that thinking, which is uh, feeding the anger or feeding the fear or anxiety, is just to give the mind uh, a job to do, which is be totally present to the physical sensation with this curious, interested attitude. How? What is this? 
you know, anger, how does it feel? Where is it in my body, in my head, in my shoulders, in my... And, and this, this interest in what's going on, it's not pushing it away, it's not trying to, uh, you know, escape into another world, but it's, let's look at this, let's be totally present to what's going on here. And that, that, that kind of focus on what's going on here reduces all the, the, the negative thinking which is fueling and exaggerating that mental state. So uh, with the really uh, powerful kind of emotions like fear and anger, that, that, that body awareness is really very uh, good practice. In, in, the, um, in the case of those kinds of thoughts and emotions arising in meditation, um, then when, it, when your mindfulness is very strong, you catch it very quickly when it's just starting and it's so, so weak you could just put it down and come back to your meditation object. But if, if, your, meditation, if your mindfulness is not strong enough to do that and you find you, you're just caught up in this already, then what we don't want to do is develop this vipawatanha, this craving to get rid of because that will feed it also. But the thing, uh, the thing to do is to be totally present to it again. Um, and that doesn't mean just going with it and knowing that you're angry and it doesn't work like that. When you're totally present to it as a mental state, then the volitional, the, the indulgence in it and the, the, the thoughts also just uh, fade out. It's a little bit... Um, analogy I have, I don't know when, when you were a kid, if you ever used to like get a flashlight and shine it through your hand. You ever done that? Really cool, yeah. So um, it's like the, the mental state is like the bones and the mind, the heart, is like the light shining through it. So you, you shift the awareness from the bones to the light. So even in a, in a, in a mental, like negative mental state, the mind is there. The mind which is not angry is there. So it's a shift, just stopping and being there. And, and so my analogy is like from the, from the bones to the, to the light shining through it. Thank you. Um, I was wondering about uh, what happens when you're sleeping and you become aware of these mental states. Um, do you then essentially do the same thing as when you're waking? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that, um, yeah, actually, um, I, I, I'm of belief that if you're just sleeping as much as your body needs, you, you don't dream very much. Um, but unless, or unless you're you know, really taking on a practice of lucid dreaming, which is taught in some of the other Buddhist traditions, um, what, I, what I've noticed in myself is that there are certain now my age, and you know, there are certain things in the past which uh, I'm not sure actually happened or were dreams. Um, it could be either, but it, it doesn't seem to matter because it, they, they affected me and affect me now um, irrespective of whether they were dreams or not. So I'm not sure what the kind of the philosophy on this is, is, is right. But if you act morally and well in a dream, um, and you remember it afterwards, I think it has a lasting effect on your on your consciousness. Um, 
Thanks. So, so I, 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 I was just telling some of the monks the other day in a monastery, I, I just got back from America and I was jet-lagged, and so I, I don't usually um, dream at all um, very much. And I, uh, and because I was jet-lagged, I had this dream when there were, I was in the monastery and all these monks were, were standing around this unconscious gorilla, um, and and they were all saying, "Wow, it's so beautiful!" And 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 I and I walked over and I said, "Look, just be careful. When it wakes up, it could be really dangerous." And that and that was my dream, you see. And that um, not I'm not going to bore you with a very long narrative, but it, it was just um, I felt really good about it when I woke up. Just I'm still, you know, teaching the monks, and I still like have a. Uh, care for the welfare of my fellow monks, even when I'm dreaming. See, so that's become sort of integrated.